And we're back. Political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul doing the racial contract. Page, is it 70? 70. Page 70. This is, um, what the fuck is this chapter called again? Uh, the whole thing's called details. But we are in the section entitled The Racial Contract Underwrites the Modern Social Contract and is continually being rewritten. Fuck yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to start us off here? Yeah, sure. As Ease points out, Cott taught anthropology and physical geography for 40 years, and his philosophical work really has to be read in conjunction with these lectures to understand how racialized his views on moral character were. Yeah, I don't even think I've ever even seen those lectures, to yep. be honest. Yeah, totally. Uh, <clears throat> not that I'm like a Kant expert, but I have right. encountered him quite a bit. Right, um, and, and uh, I think the book talks later about, or maybe I've just heard other places, that, that people that are learning Kant in philosophy classes aren't taught his anthropology lectures. Right, yeah. So it's really easy to frame him as um, a more like uh, morally neutral or, or not morally, racially neutral. I should say yes. racially neutral guy, yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's something, and I, <laughs> uh, when I was learning about Kant, not so much when I was reading him, but when I was learning about him, I just pictured such like a downtrodden man. Oh, like, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, I know that's probably not right, but not the way I was presented to him. I just wouldn't have even looked for races kind of stuff in it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, so like I kind of went into it with blinders to that anyway. Uh, well, um, what does him being downtrodden have, in, have to do with him being... Just like oppressed, like feeling like, I don't know. I just pictured that he wouldn't be the sort of man that would... Uh, uh, look to racial shit if that makes sense okay like understood inequality and on a personal level if you will right and so due to my own anecdotal experiences i just generally find that people who understand or who have lived through you know not being a dominant kind of space in society understand or have more empathy um I think or that, it could go the opposite. It could go the opposite. Yeah, I was going to say, like the book says, you know, when the uh, Italians and the Irish got off the boat, the first word they uh, learned w was the N-word. Right? And I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know how to predicate it. I guess when that concept is accompanied with somebody who also tends to be a deep thinker. I right. Suppose. Yeah. And I'm not like a huge cop dude. Like I don't, it's constantly like a, a, a philosophical bedrock for me or anything. Right. Um, his notorious comment and observations on the feeling of the beautiful and sublime is well known to and often cited by black intellectuals. Uh, and here's the quote. It seems to be a little paraphrased. Uh, so, so fundamental is the difference between the black and white races of man. It appears to be as great in regard to mental capacities as in color. Jesus. So that a clear proof that a, what a Negro said was stupid was that this fellow was quite black from head to foot. Jesus. The point of Ease's essay is that this remark is by no means isolated or a casual throwaway line that, though of course regrettable, has no broader implications. <laughs> Rather, it comes out of a developed theory of race and corresponding intellectual ability and limitation. It only seems casual, unembedded in a larger theory, because white academic philosophy as an institution has had no interest in researching, pursuing the implications of, and making known to the world this dimension of God's work. Yeah, that is super true. Um, yeah, I guess I, that's what I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, um, some of the people I knew ahead of this book, but it, it just seems to be 
if you were an enlightenment philosopher, uh, you were also a racist asshole. What would be more curious of is it that they knew or had the foresight to understand that for the society that they envisioned there needed to be an exploited class. Like if they inherently understood that to their plan, not something that they like wanted to advertise, but yeah, it's quite possible. I just, um, but I think what is that? Um, don't attribute to malice. What could be attributed Attributed to like ignorance or whatever. Like, I just think like, I, I just think about how I can have backwards ideas about black people and I interact with them. I can watch videos of them. I can hear them talk and listen to their music. I can't imagine the only experience with, of black people being like, you know, a story you read in a book or like your neighbor told you a story about the one time he was at the slave market. Right. 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 Or if you meet a black person, odds are they are enslaved and have right. had any access to education. Right. Uh, or even normal social interaction right Um, or or clothing like appearance is a big thing you know imagine if every black person you came in contact with had never had a shower right Right. obviously right right obviously you're going to have you know it's going to seem like it's inherent for them to be stupid and smelly right 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 and so yeah. that's obviously going to, you know, so, so yeah, I do feel like it's more just like, uh, or it was more of a, just like, oh, it just seems like these people are inferior. Um, uh, but then obviously like, and I know this was later on, but that fucking story about the dude uh, in Zanzibar that was instructed to protect these relics and he ended up destroying a lot of them because he was just like, dude, th- it doesn't make sense that these right. people made this. Made these things. So, yeah. So yeah. that combined, it, it's like the, the documents that they were getting oftentimes were from people that were already biased. And then they were reading these sources being like, oh, these guys say these dudes are idiots. So they must be idiots. Would you think that they, where would you think they, how would you think they thought about Arabs? This is totally a tangent. But I mean, like you'd think they'd have to know the access to the works that they were using existed because of Arab culture, especially at that time period. Like it would seem almost impossible. They couldn't know that. And I see that they never really yeah. mention unless. Well, and also they, they, um, you know, obviously this is pre enlightenment, but, um, early slave trade, um, you know, they're, they're buying, uh, at least at times, uh, slaves from Arabs as well. So I think that, uh, you know, and then the race hierarchy, they were probably above, the blacks. Yeah, because I was just in this upcoming sentence. It's like, in fact, Kant demarcates and theorizes a color-coded racial hierarchy of Europeans, Asians, Africans, and Native Americans. And I just was like, well, Arabs aren't included in that. I wonder if they're just. But um, some people, and I, I know this guy's not um, British, but you know, like um, in the UK, they call Middle Eastern people Asian. Yeah. You know. So maybe, um, maybe it's when he says Asian, he's tying in the the, yeah, and even like uh, Saudi Arabia and stuff. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Strip. Yeah, because isn't is is Saudi Arabia? It's not part of Europe. It's not. I don't like. I'm pretty sure it is Asia. Or I mean, we could yeah. look it up. And like, yeah, it's part of Asia for sure. What I find interesting is that I read somewhere that the Ural Mountains in Russia which are like, you know, a few hundred miles east of Moscow, is on the east of the Ural Mountains is considered Asia. 
on the west side is considered Europe. And I think it's funny that that, at least if I remember correctly, is pretty far east of Saudi yeah. Arabia. Oh, God, yeah. But yet, it's still part of Europe. Um, you get Like, if you draw a line from Moscow straight down, I'm pretty sure Moscow is east of Saudi Arabia. Or am I wrong about that? That seems to make super sense. Yeah, it's just funny to me that those lines still have so much to do with uh, with culture and and race, you know. Well, and Russia, I believe, was further east at some point and got pushed a little. Okay. Back. Yeah, dude. If you look, Moscow is straight up. Like most of Saudi Arabia is west. If you look at my uh, screen yeah. here, you can see most of Saudi yeah. Arabia is west uh, of Moscow, and yet it's it's crazy. Anyhow, um, all right. Sorry, uh, where were you, were you at? So yeah, I guess yeah, I could see them calling Arab people Asians. Yeah. Uh, differentiated by their degree of innate talent, Ease explains talent is that which, by nature, guarantees for the white in conservation, national, and moral order the highest position above all creatures, followed by the yellow, the black, and then the red. Skin color for Kant is evidence of superior, inferior, or no gift of talent, or the capacity to realize reason and the rational moral perfectibility through education. It cannot, therefore, be argued that skin color for Kant was merely a physical characteristic. It is rather evidence of an unchanging and unchangeable moral quality. Europeans, to no one's surprise, I presume, have all the necessary talents to be morally self-educating. There is some hope for Asians, though they lack the ability to develop abstract concepts. Jesus Christ. The innately idle Africans can at least be educated as servants and slaves through the instruction of a split bamboo cane. Kant gives some useful advice on how to beat Negroes efficiently. And the wretched Native Americans are just hopeless and cannot be educated at all. So in complete opposition to the image of his work that has come down to us and is standardly taught in introductory ethics courses, full personhood for Kant is actually dependent upon race. In Ease's summary, the black person, for example, can accordingly be denied full humanity since full and true humanity accrues only to the white European. It's almost shocking that we even, like, I understand discussing all of these people still, but with how quote unquote liberal academics is supposed to be. I know. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, how Kant could still be uh, just a, like, a foundational block of most philosophical educations, at least. Without at least acknowledging the, all this stuff. Yep. And for that to be the case, and for people to pretend that academics is just like some progressive liberal brainwashing camp is, is yeah. amazing. Yep. Um, the, the recent uh, fear about Paul DeMann and decades earlier Martin Heidegger for their complicity with the Nazis thus needs to be put into perspective. These are essentially bit players, minor leaguers. One needs to distinguish theory from actual practice, of course, and I am not saying that Kant would have endorsed genocide. It's funny, but 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 just that he has to clarify that, I think, speaks a lot onto what Kant is saying. Uh, but the embarrassing, and this is all in italics for some reason, but the embarrassing fact for the white West, which uh, doubtless explains its concealment, is that their most important moral theorist of the past 300 years is also the fundamental uh, theorist in the modern period of the division between Herrenvolk and Ubermenschen. 
that yeah those, those are german uh which would just be kind of like the hair invoke is like gentlemanly okay people if you will kind of like a an unter mention which would be like under. oh yeah i said uber under. i meant unter Okay, so uh, Herrenvolk and Untermenschen, persons and subpersons, upon which Nazi theory would later draw. Modern moral theory and modern racial theory have the same father. The racial contract, therefore, underwrites the social contract, is a visible or hidden operator that restricts and modifies the scope of its prescriptions. But since there is both synchronic and diatonic uh, variation. There are many different versions or local instantiations of the racial contract, and they evolve over time, so that the effective force of the social contract itself changes, and the kind of cognitive dissonance between the two alters. This change has implications for the moral psychology of the whites' uh, signatories and their characteristic patterns of insight and blindness. The social contract is, in its original historical version, a specific discrete event that founds society even if, through e.g. Lockean theories of tacit consent, subsequent generations continue to ratify it on an ongoing basis. By contrast, the racial contract is continually being rewritten to create different forms of the racial polity. You were looking something up? Uh, just syn- uh, synchronic and diachronic. It just has to do with like language. Uh, like Synchronic is just concerned with how, uh, especially in a language, it existed at one point. So kind of, I would assume, like the being careful about what something meant at okay. a time. You know, like reading a word and maybe not attributing the malice that needed to be attributed to it when it was written a hundred years ago, as opposed to like it's been deadened now or something. And then diachronic is just like that actual evolution. So looking into like the the procedure of the synchronic difference between now and today, studying that would be the diachronic look into it. Damn. Okay. Um, a global periodization, a timeline overview of the evolution of the racial contract would highlight, first of all, the crucial division between the time before and the time after the institutional institutionalization of global white supremacy. Thus, Janet Lung, Lungfar... Abelugodes? Uh Janet Abelugodes' book about the 13th century, 14th century medieval world system is entitled Before European Hegemony. That's so on point, dude. That's that's the type of history yeah. I would love to, to write, you know? Yeah. Um, I bet that shit is fucking interesting. Yeah, and hard to acquire sources for. <laughs> dude, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, the time after would then be further uh, subdivided into the period of formal juridical white supremacy, the epoch of the European conquest, African slavery, and the European colonialism, overt white racial self-identification, and the largely undisputed hegemony of racist theories, and the present period of de facto white supremacy, when whites' dominance is, for the most part, no longer constitutionally or juridically enshrined, but rather a matter of social, political, cultural, and economic privilege based on the legacy of the conquest. I think I did a good job with that that um, that paragraph. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was... Uh, 
but thank you for for fucking I have probably already told this story, but it bothered me so much recently when Jacob tried to tell me that I didn't have challenges reading. I'm like, dude, you don't know what is hard for me and what's hard for you and what's not hard for me. It's like if Jacob and I sat down and were told to read the same page silently, he would get done way before me. And it bothers me when he's like, oh, dude, no, it's not that hard for you. It's like, dude, fuck you. Um, no, and I can like, and I, like, I mean this with all love, but I can, you know, we've done this for a while. So I can just see things that um, are a little more of a struggle. Like, uh, I don't know totally, but like, I feel like something with words, um, you have to fight an extra step not to have a word preloaded. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It Yes, sense. yes. And I do have, yes, I do um, just kind of try to guess oftentimes what I think they're going to say rather than like looking at it fully. And and I just am glad that you can acknowledge that rather than, because I think what Jacob's trying to do is he thinks it helps me and makes me more confident, confident by telling me that I, it, I don't have a problem. But it... Well, I also have the, the time on Jacob. Like, right. I've known you... Yes for a long time so i also have the knowledge of like i'm just impressed all the time because i know how much work you have put in to be able to read out loud at this pace and this efficiency and comprehend it like i am so aware of um, the amount of time and effort that was required to get here so i think just from all around just be proud of yourself that jacob can't even see that shit yeah yeah Thanks, man. That's monumental. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I mean, like, I think Jacob is almost, like, in some aspects, like, uh, not that he has it, but, like, he's just so smart, I don't think he can understand that, like, there are uh, differences. Because he didn't, like, I don't know, the whole time I've known Jacob, and I did not know him much during when he was, like, in the uh, philosophy side of things, but it all just comes so easy to him. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like to switch from chemistry to philosophy and just be killing it in both. Yep. Yeah. 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 uh, And he does. I think he does struggle uh, with like observation to a certain extent. Yeah, and just social interaction in general. Yeah. Like Jacob is so much smarter than me, but I think I would be able to convey a topic that he knows about to somebody else better. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Even if I knew about it. 20% 20% like 50% less or whatever totally uh all right so in the first because I'm dumb enough to know how to teach well <laughs> like, no, I yeah. know no I know what it takes to learn for me right um yeah and so uh I like to think about like shaping things so it's like well shit dude this was hard for me I wonder if I can make this less hard for others yeah. yeah yeah totally in the first period uh the period of de jure de jure de jure um, which, uh, what does it, that mean? It's French. I want to say like, de jour, like, bonjourno is like good day. So I don't know. Uh, de jour. Oh, it's a cigarette. The first thing that comes up is de jour segregation. Okay. Oh, dude, this is a phrase that I wish I had known about earlier. De jour. In law and government, de jour describes practices that are legally recognized regardless of whether the practice exists in reality. So I'm trying to think of like examples of that. Yeah, that, of course they'll have them come up. So like I think part of like my initial thing, and I'm about to find out if I'm wrong, would be like making laws about all this protection from Muslim terrorist attacks that aren't really happening in our country, like, or voter like, fraud, or voter fraud. That's a great. That's a much more on the point example. 
Okay, so the American example that gets used is uh, in U.S. law, particular, uh, particularly after Brown v. Board, it was the difference between de facto segregation, segregation that existed because of the voluntary associations of neighborhoods, and de jure segregation, segregation that existed because of local laws that mandated the segregation. Okay, so so, so it's, it, it's stuff that was going on, but just on a local level. Yeah, or like in a hypothetical situation, a king or emperor could be the de jure head of state. However, if they are unfit to lead the country, it would actually be led by the prime minister okay. um, or chancellor. So the prime minister would be the de facto leader. So it's the opposite of de facto. Okay, so the prime minister would be the de facto leader and the king would be the, the de, de jure. jure leader. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, in the first period, the period of de jure white supremacy, the racial con- contract was explicit. The characteristic uh, instantiations, the ex expropriation contract the slave contract the colonial contract making it clear that whites were the privileged race and the egalitarian social contract applied only to them cognitively then this period had the great the great virtue of social transparency white supremacy was openly proclaimed one didn't have to look for the subtext because it was there in the text itself. In the second period, on the other hand, the racial contract, and this is in italics, has written itself out of formal existence. The scope of the terms in the social contract has been formally extended to apply to everyone, so that persons is no longer coexistent or coextensive, coextensive with whites. What characterizes this period, which is, of course, the present, is tension between continuing de facto white privilege and this formal extension of rights. Um, I just think about how many times I probably didn't understand those terms when they were used. Because it's for sure not like the first time. Like I think maybe I had a base understanding, but like the combination of de jure and de facto, I don't think I ever understood. Okay. Or even like, because de facto is something I have like used in my life uh life before has like a term just use like the de facto um with no real connection to de jour and uh it's kind of like a that's my light bulb for the day i'm excited to learn about that okay awesome um uh okay so oh the racial contract continues to manifest itself of course in unofficial local agreements of various kinds restrictive covenants employment employment discrimination contracts political decisions about resource allocation etc but even they would just work harder (laughs) right exactly but even apart from these a crucial manifestation is simply the failure to ask certain questions taking for granted as a status quo and baseline existing color-coded configurations of wealth poverty property and opportunities the pretense that formal juridical equality is sufficient to remedy inequalities created on a foundation of several hundred years of racial privilege, and that challenging the foundation is a transgression of terms of the social contract. Though actually, in a sense, it is insofar as the racial contract is the real meaning of the social contract. 
and not that he doesn't do a good job arguing this from time to time, but like, yeah, I wish people like Destiny and Vosh just had this book on their desk. Dude, I, yes, yeah. Uh, Globally, the racial contract affects a final paradoxical norming and racing of space. A writing out of the polity of certain spaces has conceptually and historically irrelevant to European and Euro world development. So that these raced spaces are categorized as disjoined from the path of civilization, i.e. the European project. Frederick Jameson writes, colonialism means that a significant structural segment of the economic system as a whole is now located elsewhere, beyond the metropolis, outside of the daily life and existential experience of the home country. Such spatial disjunction has, has as its immediate consequence, the in- inability to grasp the way the system functions as a whole. It's easy to not see how terrible something is if you're just looking really up close to a certain aspect of it, which is probably how a lot of societies get into just terrible, terrible shit, i.e. today. Well, and also just being able to avoid uh, dealing with terrible shit, right? But first of all, I want to say, dude, at some point, we've got to read some Frederick Jameson, dude. This is the okay, second yeah. book that has quoted this, dude. Yeah, I, that's very true. Um, but what you were saying about Destiny and Vosh, I totally agree. And that's like one of the reasons why I hope that we can get uh, enough traction with this that we can't be ignored. Because, you know, I'll hear uh, Destiny or, and or Vosh say something and I'll just be like, God dang it, dude. I'll immediately think of the racial contract or um, like stamp from the beginning and be like, ah, I can tell these dudes haven't read this because yep. of uh, what they're saying, you know? Yep. And it's, you know, and it's, none of it is radical. None of it is outrageous or, you know, like I think sometimes what they get afraid of, like when I hear Destiny talk about, you know, leftist literature and shit is that it's written with the same care that like a neo-Nazi book is, which is that they just fucking make up history and quote other nonsensical neo-Nazis. And that is the whole foundation uh, of, and I might be misusing this, but I just want to try of their academic polity, if you will, like their polity, that's all they have is shit that they make up and attribute and quotes and shit to people that you can't, you can't go back like that one Bosch episode. You can't go back and for sure say Trotsky didn't say that. Right. You know, but like nobody else ever heard it. It's not recorded anywhere. And 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 it's antithetical to everything else yes, he he ever said. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, whereas every book or article we have encountered also is accompanied with a section that is generally at least a third the size of the book yep. with notes and yep. sources yep. and quotations. And so it's just such a different beast. And I get that's one of the th- and not Bosch. I'm not going to put Bosch into this. I've never heard him say stuff like that. But with Destiny, it's like I don't think he understands that. Yes, some ideals that leftist authors or leftist literature has seem radical, maybe to American sensibilities. But these are not radicalization books. They're written to display a reality that we very much find existent um, and that these people have gone to great lengths to you know prove like I'm not just on a soapbox screaming like this is a very impactful reality that a lot of people are pretending doesn't fucking exist yeah furthermore we all know that at a certain point abolitionism was radical you yeah. know yes. and so it's like <laughs> like like destiny if you were alive in 1835 
would you have been one of those guys that's like, well, hold on now. These, right. the, 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 what you're talking about, abolition of slavery, that is radical. Like, let's yeah. just do um, the, uh, what was and the... And do it from, like, a kind thing. Like, well, where would they all live? Right, like, right, right, right. You know. uh, wh- what are your policy positions for <laughs> once these people have been abolished, you know? And it's right. like, dude, yeah. you're missing, uh, the, what is it, the, the forest from the trees or whatever, Tree. you yeah. know? Okay, sorry to interrupt. Uh, where oh, were you God, at? no problem. That was good. Uh, by the social contract's decision to remain in the space of the European nation state, the connection between the development of this space's industry, culture, civilization, and the material and cultural contributions of Afro-Asia and the Americans is denied. So it seems as if this space and its denizens are peculiarly rational and industrious, differentially endowed with qualities that have enabled them to dominate the world. One then speaks of the European miracle, in a way that I thought that was like an 85, right? Like, wasn't that like a hockey game? The Olympics? <laughs> Sorry, that might be the Russian miracle. Uh, in a way that conceives this once marginal region has, wow, I don't know what that is. Sui, sui generis. Uh, I butchered the pronunciation, but let's see if we can at least figure out what it means. Those at home, since I cannot pronounce it, S U I and then G E N E R I S. And it is unique. Okay. okay. So that's like a classy French way to say it, I'm guessing. Okay, okay. If I was capable of saying classy French things. So this once marginal region has uh, sui generis, uh, conceptually, has unique, conceptually severing it from the web of spatial connections that made its development possible. This space actually comes to have the character it does because of the pumping ex- exploitative cat causality established between it and those other conceptually invisible spaces this is what i'm going to say totally ridiculous but those last two sentences are something that i could picture being said by the french dude in the matrix movies how so just like the french accent peppering in a french term okay uh, and using the word causality okay okay that dude says causality like every other word okay okay Uh, it's been a while since I've seen those films, so I could be yeah. totally off base. But by remaining within the boundaries of the European space of the abstract contract, it is valorized as unique, inimitable, autonomous. Other parts of the world then disappear from the white contractarian history, subsumed under the general category of risible non-European space, the third world, where for reasons of local folly and geographical blight, the inspiring model of the self-sufficient white social contract cannot be followed nationally uh within these racial polities the racial contract manifests itself in white resistance to anything more than the formal extension of the terms of the abstract social contract and often to that also um whereas before it was denied that non-whites were equal persons it is now pretended that non-whites are equal abstract persons who can be fully included in the polity merely by extending the scope of the moral operator without any fundamental change in the arrangements that have resulted from the previous system of explicit de jure racial privilege. Sometimes the new forms taken by the racial contract are transparently exploitative. For example, the Jim Crow contract, whose claim of separate but equal was patently ludicrous. It's a super good way to put that. Shit is patently ludicrous. Yeah, totally. Um, But others, the job discrimination contract, the restrictive covenant, 
are harder to prove. Employment agencies use subterfuge of various kinds. In 1990, for example, two former employees of one of New York City's largest employment agencies divulged that discrimination was routinely practiced against black applicants, though concealed behind a number of coded words. Clients who did not want to hire blacks would indicate their preference for applicants who were, in quotes, all American. For its part, the agency would signal that an applicant was black by reversing the initials of the placement counselor. This is something I encountered all the time, except in the, like when I did the, um, you know, maritime contracts, except it was always like English speaking or, you know, like the English, we want people whose English is their first language okay. or shit like that. So they are still trying to be super racist with who they contract employ. Thankfully, almost no company in the world. Well, okay, I say no company in the world. No large company, from what I can tell with current, well, we'll see how long they last, with current oversight would be willing to do that. Right. But, you know, as those oversights disappear, willing to bet companies will certainly not care anymore. Right. Because that's the worry. I never heard, well, actually, I had some really cool managers, but I can't imagine that our, like, president would have been like i just want to do this morally correct he's just like i don't want to be sued right sort of deal and i think if those protections were gone we wouldn't be too far away from that obviously totally totally it's too bad that you didn't have like a uh a fucking um collection uh of surplus labor that uh were like south african so that you yeah. could just like give them a bunch of South Africans and English yes. is their like first yes. language, but South just... African or Jamaican. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. God damn yeah. it, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> okay. Uh sorry, um, I interrupted a real random spot. Uh, oh yeah, okay. I see it, I think. Um yeah, similarly. Yeah, similarly, a study of how American apartheid is maintained points out that whereas in the past uh, realtors would have simply refused to sell the blacks, now blacks are, in quotes, are met by a realtor with a similar face who, through a series of uh, ruses, lies, and deceptions, makes it hard for them to learn about inspect, rent, or purchase homes in white neighborhoods. Because uh, because the discrimination is latent, however, it is usually uh, unobservable, even to the person experiencing it. And that's just capitalism working its way in there, too, with real estate agents. Because I bet you there's so many real estate agents that are like, I don't want a black family in here because if I sell a house in this area, like I need these house values to go up. Like they probably, if they're not intentionally doing it, well, they are intentionally, but it's still probably profitable for them to keep uh, homogenous neighborhoods. And since that's in the hands of the realtors, I bet that happens more than I ever thought about. Yeah. Uh, one never knows for sure. And non-whites then find that race is paradoxically both everywhere and nowhere. Structuring their lives, but not formally recognized in political slash moral theory. But in a racially structured polity, the only people who can find it psychologically possible to deny the uh, centrality of race are those who are racially privileged, for uh, whom race is invisible precisely because the world is structured around them. Whiteness as a ground, or as the ground against which the figures 
uh, of other races. Those who, unlike us, are raced appear. The fish does not see the water, and whites do not see the racial nature of a, ra a white polity because it is natural to them, the element in which they move. As Toni Morrison points out, there are contexts in which claiming racelessness is itself a racial act. And that's super important. Super important. I mean, it's the hardest thing to break through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you explain to somebody that like your natural existence is not a good one right now? Yeah. Um, well, or maybe, you know, not a just one. Right. And, and dude, it, uh, this has got to be a burden psychologically too, because it's like, you're like, wait, was that just some racist shit that went down? And then right. if you ask someone that isn't uh, black, you know, or, and sometimes even is black, so often they're going to be like, no, dude, that wasn't racist. And so you're then right. going around being like, am I paranoid? Am I overthinking this? Or was that some racist shit? And that has got to fuck with your head, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a lifetime of that has got to be mm -hmm. um, so weird and damaging, you know, because yeah. because like like um, like Ben Shapiro says, he's like, um, you know, people always assume shit is racist, um, but sometimes people are just dicks because they're dicks. And that's true. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, fuck, dude, was that guy being rude to me or, or did he did I not get that house or did I not get that job because I wasn't actually qualified or because he was a dick or because he was a racist dick or or because of unconscious racism, you know, right. racism. Yeah. It's it's just such a mind fuck. No, and, it, you know, it is it's a, a muddied field to try and exist in. Yeah. And uh, personally, at this point, I think, you know, we're just not in a time period where you can hide all of this knowledge for too much longer or where you can hide um, individual realities as well. Uh, we're at a time where it's possible for so many people to share their personal experience. Right. And, um, you know, right now, the only way to resist that reality seems to be with violence and ignorance or violent ignorance, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I think the only way to comfortably move forward would be to actually acknowledge where we came from, how we got here, um, and the true just societal pitfalls that that has caused we could be in a much better place if this wasn't the rationale that brought us to modernity possibly yeah yeah, yeah. Possibly. totally totally but i will say that because like although it is easier to know individual anecdotal experience that's totally true yeah but the um so much of the uh, accumulation of, of actual data and studies is funded at least in part by the government. And like I was reading, maybe it's in this book, maybe, no, it couldn't have been in this book because this is, so in, in Stamp from the Beginning, he's talking about a uh, redlining case in New York from 2015. And then I think in that book, he mentions that uh, once Trump became president, that the funding for whoever does Modern, yeah. the oversight for that and the accumulation of that data was cut out, right? And so oh, it's, it's like if uh, you can if you can cut out the funding for the studies that prove that this stuff is going on, then it's much easier to deny that this stuff is going on. And I've seen it in person how much less the reporting is. Um, like when I first started at my last job uh, – the doing EOA stuff like Employment Opportunity Act reporting, uh, it's a huge or was a huge, huge project. So it was split up between multiple people. And it just, it, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, they ask all kinds of, uh, you know, you have to go through for like for what 
the thing that I was responsible for each year, and I don't know the full scope of what our reporting even was, honestly, but they, they, this wasn't a requirement the last year I worked because it just went away. Um, but previously, I had to go to every location that we had, find the racial demographics and make sure that we were hiring. Uh, the requirement was that we were hiring a percentage, at least a percentage match to the racial demographics. Um, so if our, you know, if we had a location in like Palm Beach or whatever, where it's a very white place those metrics would be less but if you are doing had a store in atlanta obviously you couldn't have an all-white store without being pegged for racial discrimination but my point all of it my point being that by the last year that that reporting was done it took us almost no time because the reporting metrics were like nulled okay there was almost nothing they just didn't care anymore right and so yeah no that's gonna have a huge effect and you know i mean like that's that's the other thing like we are days away from knowing whether this shit is going to continue Trump or not. Or weeks, um, maybe. Weeks, with weeks, the... yeah. Yeah. No. We're days away from initial results. Yeah. We talk about, uh, lots of people talk about, you know, Biden kind of sucking. And, and obviously, I think if you've heard our, anything we say personally, we're, we understand. We understand. But I don't think that Biden is saying we need to end racial sensitivity training right. because it makes people hate America. I don't, you know, these things aren't on the table. And that's fucking terrifying how quickly... And how willing I think a large chunk of Americans are willing to regress on all of this shit. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to live in that world. No. I would way rather live in a depressing, dystopian, neoliberal world than a fucking yep. race war. Yep. Like. Yep. Seriously. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, but uh, well, on that awesome note. Yeah. That, totally. <laughs> that positive, optimistic outlook. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. We are uh, wrapping things up at the uh, midpoint on page seventy-six. Um, next time we will be picking it back up there, and hopefully we will be finishing this section. Yes, I, I would imagine so. Well, thank you uh, once again, and have a great day.